Hello and welcome to Filling the Sink, a podcast from Catalan News. My name's Lorcan Doherty and today we're talking about Spain's animal welfare law. Approved in Congress six months ago, the new legislation has just come into effect. For the most part, it'll see increased fines for animal abuse and new obligations for pet owners, but it hasn't been without controversy. Coming up today, we'll be hearing various viewpoints on the new law, from pro-hunting groups to animal rights defenders. And I'm joined today by Killian Shades. Hello, Killian. Lorcan, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Killian, the new law mainly affects pet owners, not exclusively so, and speaking purely anecdotally, I would say there's a lot of them around, thinking mainly of all the dogs that you see out being walked on the streets of Barcelona. That's right, yeah, we've got a few of them in our team as well. We do indeed, we've got little Hugo, How's, you know, I hope Hugo's tuning into this. I hope so too, he's at home uh, resting in, with his big blanket. Ah, <laughs> lovely stuff, lovely stuff. Yeah, so like you said, there are a lot of animals in this country and uh, a couple of stats that I found this week doing research was that one in three households in all of Spain lives with at least one pet. So that's huge numbers if you think about it. And in Catalonia, we've got more than a million and a half animals registered with the animal registry authorities. And in fact, in 2022, uh, Catalans actually broke new records for the amount of new registrations of pets with over 113,000 thousand, more than 76,000 dogs in that as well, by far uh, the most popular animal to have as a pet here. Uh, Before this law, there was actually another one in January 2022 to do with pets as well, when Spain officially declared that they were to be considered sentient beings. So before then, they were considered things, things yeah. essentially. Yeah. yeah. So goods, uh, like you know, it's, yeah. it's weird to think about it. Uh, so this obviously brought a bit more protection uh, for them. It, it basically put into law that the, the well-being, the considerations of animals, has to be taken into account. So that's a nice step forward, and definitely a, a pretext for this new law that we're talking about now today. Okay. So to give the new law its full title, it is the Law of Protection of Rights and Well-Being of Animals. And I mentioned right at the start that it has come into effect. Partially. Partially. (laughs) Exactly. So so tell us what's going on. Yeah. So in the last couple of weeks, there's been a bit of controversy about uh, how they're going to iron out some of the details, really, because um, at the moment, Spain currently has an acting government. We've had the July general election. And since then, we haven't had a new uh, prime minister named. And that means that Pedro Sanchez and the socialists and Podemos are still just currently acting as a government. Uh, So what does that mean for this law? Essentially, some specifics can't be fully carried out. And this includes some of the headline measures, two in particular. Precisely, uh, that affect pet owners, dog owners, uh, a training course and uh, an insurance Exactly, yeah. A civil liability insurance for dogs is going to be an obligation now once this comes into full effect. However, that's one of the measures that's, as we just mentioned, it's going to be postponed now until uh, the details are ironed out. Like, we don't know yet um, to what value this has to cover. We don't know yet uh, how it's going to be implemented or, or, or anything, really. And also, you mentioned the training course. Again, the details just are not published yet at all. We don't know who's going to give the training. Is it going to be online? Is it going to be done in a course? They are saying that it's going to be free at least, but is the test going to be online? Is it going to be in person? Again, we just don't know yet. And as a result, this is one of the parts that have not been implemented yet. 
Okay, so those particular obligations are going to come in at a later date, uh, but there are plenty of measures that are now already in place. One of the big ones, Killian, is uh, that they've increased prison sentences and fines for animal abuse. Exactly, yeah. So this new law comes hand in hand with the reform of the penal code to toughen penalties for animal abuse. And we're going to see prison sentences of 18 to 24 months if the animal dies. And this can rise up to 36 months if the death of more than one animal occurs. As well as that, you can also be disqualified from living or working with animals for five to 10 years if you're found guilty in this kind of circumstances. And the fines? Yes. So so this is going to be considerably tougher as well. They're going to be categorised in three different degrees with fines ranging from as low as 500 and then all the way up to 200,000 euro. Yeah, so it'll depend exactly on the on the type of offence. Uh, for example, uh, fines against abandonment. So if you abandon your pet, uh, the fine could be between 10,000 and 50,000 euro. Yeah, and like so much of the law that's now in force as well, it, it's mainly based around uh, caring for pet animals, making sure that they're not harmed or hurt, uh, and just promoting responsible ownership, essentially. And information about the animals and their owners who abandon them uh, will be stored in a registry. There's also new regulations as to how you can look after animals at home. Yeah, exactly. And and like I just mentioned, there's so many of these points of this law are aimed at uh, the well-being of the animal, predominantly pets as well. So it's going to be prohibited to have pets permanently outdoors. So, for example, on patios or balconies, terraces, because what's been particularly a problem this summer, we've seen many examples, unfortunately, of some families going on holiday and leaving their dogs in the direct sunlight during a heat wave in the middle of the summer, which is obviously awful abuse of the animal. On top of that, dogs can't be left alone for more than 24 hours. And for cats, that time is a maximum of three days. Cats are also going to have to get microchipped, uh, like dogs. And there's some regulation around uh, the breeding and sale of pets as well, Killian. Yeah, so this is also a very interesting point as well, which is going to really change kind of the business side of of pets and uh, buying and selling dogs and cats. So basically, they'll only be able to be sold by a registered breeder and no longer in shops. So stores won't be able to have dogs and cats and ferrets on display like how they used to be able to. And as well as that, the sale of animals of the internet will not be allowed in order to ensure the well-being, even including the transport of the animal in those kind of circumstances. And of course, to avoid illegal trafficking. It's going to be mandatory to spay or neuter all pets that mainly live outside to try to reduce uncontrolled breeding. And there's new legislation also about uh, putting animals down Yes, exactly. So now it's going to be prohibited without a justified cause. Basically, healthy animals cannot be put down. Euthanasia will only be limited for health reasons and under the supervision of a vet. That particular point was already included in legislation here in Catalonia already. And similarly, uh, the presence of wild animals in circuses was already prohibited in Catalonia. Now that's come into this Spain-wide law as well. Yes, exactly. And in the Spain-wide law, that's also going to apply not only just to circuses, but also to to zoos and other sort of like aquatic centres, other different types of shows that animals are a part of. So these are to become centres for the recovery of native species, uh, which Barcelona Zoo, uh, we've already done a podcast on that, uh, is already in the process of uh, trying to do. Now, Kelly, and I think it's fair to say that the big controversy with this legislation has been the exclusion of hunting dogs. Yeah, precisely. 
it's the same species, but different regulation being applied if the dog is uh, one type of dog or another type of dog. Plenty of controversy about this, um, particularly in the social field with various different um, stakeholders, such as hunting groups, but then also animal rights groups having their say on it. But there's been even plenty of controversy in the political world about it as well, because this whole law was initiated by Podemos, the more kind of left wing, the junior partner of the current acting Spanish government. But then the socialists actually sided with the Conservative People's Party and the far-right Vox in removing the stipulation of having hunting dogs included just the same as any other dog would be. So initially, the law was written to include hunting dogs, treating them the same as all other dogs. But this was later amended with the backing of the socialists, the People's Party and Vox. Well, the hunting industry in Spain, it's a, it's, a, it's a powerful lobby. It generates more than 5 billion euros a year in economic activity, uh, according to uh, Reuters, quoting figures from Deloitte. And, uh, I mean, Kelly and I remember we did a cycling podcast there in August, and in Catalonia, I think we were looking at the, the number of cycling clubs, and there was loads. I think it was the third most popular one in Catalonia, first being football, and then second was hunting clubs. So it shows you how widespread it is. Exactly, yeah. And this week you spoke to the Director of Research at the Artemisan Foundation. Uh, they're an organisation in favour of hunting. They believe hunting is uh, a good way to manage the nat- natural environment and contribute to conservation of ecosystems. Yes, exactly. Um, but also, they've also been one of the most vocal groups against this law, certainly in the initial part of when it first was published. So I spoke to Carlos Sanchez. He's a trained vet and a director of research at the foundation. And I just wanted to learn more about his point of view on this law of animal welfare. There are some aspects that that are, are right, that uh, we need to tackle some problems like uh, dog or cat Abandonment is a, is, a, is a problem all over Spain. Of course, we need to be quite uh, strict uh, with people that don't um, that don't respect animals. So some of the things that were going to be applied in all types of breeds were just uh, stupid. Of course, uh, with with dogs used for hunting, you know that they of course they they can they can get injured while they are in the field dogs in a dog pack that have to hunt a wild boar or red deer, they can easily get get injured. So uh, if the, the, the hunting dogs would have remained in this law, the practice of hunting would have been very, very, very much, it would be impossible, very much difficult to use dogs for hunting. So even if we are speaking about the same species, there are some dogs that are pets and other dogs that are hunting dogs. And then you have cases like, for example, my Springer Spaniel, which is a pet and a, and a gun dog at the same time. But um, the current legislation do not, does not apply to this type of, of, of dogs. 80% of our population lives in, in just 20% of our land. So you have that great gap and that we think that that is, um, that is a big problem because, of course, we are evolving to provide more well-being to animals, which is fantastic. But the disconnection is uh, is it's just brutal. And for example, the, the most significant case um, to a, a beautiful landscape, uh, well managed with uh, thriving wildlife, both game and non-game species, they will not know that there's management ongoing. There's uh, habitat management. There's game management providing food and water for all the species. 
Sometimes we need to control species like the wild boar. Uh, Free-roaming uh, cats are, and there's a lot of scientific evidence, they are threatening uh, wildlife, urban wildlife, uh, wildlife in the countryside, etc. For many reasons, for, for, for predation, for uh, transmitting disease to, to people and to other animals, etc. So that's, that's a problem. Then we have, in many parts of Spain, cat colonies, which are, in many cases, managed and funded with public funding. Uh, and of course, it's great that somebody would like to, to help these animals because they are, you know, they are free roaming, they are abandoned. But um, uh, this law, instead of trying to manage and try to reduce this problem and try to reall reallocate and put these cats in a shelter or somewhere, they have uh, promoted to keep those, uh, those cats, those colony cats. So I think we, we should move towards a future with no stray cat colonies. And also, um, the administration should allow hunters, land managers, uh, conservationists to uh, trap these cats in the field, to trap, uh, not to kill, to trap these animals, okay? And uh, there's actually very selective traps that can be used without damaging the, the cats, uh, but many regions you can't use them. That was Carlos Sanchez, our thanks to him. When you sent me that interview to listen uh, earlier in the week, Killian, I, the, the thing that one of the things that struck me is this rural-urban disconnect, and um, I just I was kind of curious, and I, I went and looked. So what's the situation in Catalonia? Because uh, he's based in Ciudad Real, which is you know quite a rural part of Spain. Well, according to the statistics body here in Catalonia, Idiscat, uh, less than 10% of the population live in rural municipalities. Uh, over 60% live in big cities. And so then the remaining 30% are in towns or what they call semi-dense areas. So, I mean, mm -hmm. obviously this disconnect, I imagine, is, is very present uh, here as well. You know? Exactly, yeah. And, and I found it really interesting to speak to him about this kind of thing as well, because I live here in Barcelona, in the city. I'm very urban-minded, naturally. So I think it's very easy for, for myself and people like myself to kind of fall into this trap of thinking that uh, our environment is the only one in the, in the entire country. But no, and we have to always remind ourselves that the reality is far more diverse than, than what we really know, than what we really come into contact with on a day-to-day on a -day basis. So as Carlos said, you know, he thinks that there's a lot still to be ironed out with this legislation, as we heard. But in a way, Killian the fact that the hunting dogs were made an exception in the final legislation, I think, you know, was a big win for the hunting community. Animal rights groups, on the other hand, who I think it's fair to say have broadly welcomed the legislation, welcomed the fact that the legislation has been brought in and it's putting these issues on the table. Uh, one of the main sticking points from their point of view has been the fact that hunting dogs uh, have been excluded. There's There's been an exception made for hunting dogs so that all the rules don't apply. And uh, that's kind of the thrust of what you heard uh, when you spoke to Brooke Sperling from Anima Naturalis this week. Yeah, exactly. I mean, doing my research for this, uh, I'd found, you know, some groups that were opposing, protesting against the law. And then Carlos's group, uh, the Artemisan Foundation, they came up in some search results. But then also I found an animal rights group also protesting against this law. And that's what really piqued my interest. OK, well, let's take a listen. I think 
probably the biggest worry that we're feeling at the moment is the list of animals that are actually allowed in our homes to be defined as companion animals. So that list, um, as far as we know, is not yet properly defined. So we have a lot of worry among people having animals as companion animals in their home that still don't fully know if it's going to be legal. So the sooner that can come out, I think we can put people at ease. They can know how they have to handle this situation. One of the biggest exclusions that was at the end point of being debated then got excluded finally from the text are the dogs that are used for hunting. The slogan that we're using is um, same dog, same rights. It's, it's strange that the whole text is defined as dogs, cats and ferrets uh, will be protected by this law. They are by default defined as companion animals. And there's a lot of words saying with no exclusions, this is the case. And then uh, we also have part in this in the law that says that hunting dogs will be fully excluded from all the definitions where um, it's marked as dogs. The one thing that is a step in the right direction, at least with these animals, is that they have to be registered. So these owners of these dogs have to register them in the public registry where they state that I have this dog or dogs in these cases and they I, I want to register them sorry, as being exempt from the, the law. And that should help at least, again, as a starting point in the right direction where uh, they can't just abandon these dogs or sacrifice them in, in ways that are defined as illegal in, in the rest of the law. Hunting dogs are, are in, a, in a group of animals that are under a huge amount of risk and, and stress and lack even basic rights as access to enough food. And of course, I'm not talking about all, all hunting dogs, but all hunting dogs are exposed to risk and danger and very much often uh, lack, as I said, basic food and water, but even care for injuries or if they get you know, any, any risks or anything that they're facing whilst they're having to find the animals or, or even fight the animals. We need to ensure the uh, safety and the protection of all these kind of animals. And in a hunting environment, that's something that is extremely difficult, if not impossible, to, to ensure. We've done investigations that we launched also um, earlier this year about hunting dogs and we were able to get a lot of information in this area where we could actually prove that they as a collective weren't being looked after in any minimum standards that they should be kept to. They are often exposed to high risk, most of the cases to animals that are a lot bigger than they are, stronger and again if we flip it back to the minimum standards that they have when they get injured we have a lot of cases when they're not having the minimum attendance to these injuries or, or minimum medications or anything that they're needing. At the moment, we have a lot of hunters out there that have dogs that are very soon going to have to be forced to register these dogs. Um, and again, once they're registered, this means that they cannot be then abandoned or sacrificed. From an honest perspective, what happens from now until then is, is of course, a concern. Um, but we hope that the fact that, okay, they are not included within this whole law and respected and recognised as companion dogs, but the fact that they're going to have to be in a general registry, anything that's tracked is easily detectable than anything that's not tracked. It's far from where we would like it to be. But again, it's, it's something that now, because there's a law for it where before it wasn't the case, it's now on the table for debate. We have to recognize it's a very much a baby step, but it will not be the end, that's for sure. Brooke Sperling from Anima Naturalis. 
Thanks very much to her. So the group has a slogan, same dogs, same rights, uh, which kind of sums up their position on on the fact that hunting dogs have have been excluded from this uh, legislation. Not just hunting dogs, assistant dogs, uh, dogs in the army, sheep dogs, uh, a lot of working dogs, basically. Dogs with jobs. Dogs with jobs. Uh, But they are going to be in a general registry. Yeah, exactly. So there's at least going to be that level of protection for them. Yeah. Killian, it would be strange to do a podcast here on animal welfare and not mention bullfighting. But bullfighting isn't mentioned in in this new law. It's not, yes, because in Spain, bullfighting has the legal status of intangible cultural heritage. Um, Of course, bullfighting is not very popular. It's not very common in Catalonia. But of course, this is a Spain-wide law that we're talking about. And in other parts of Spain, bullfighting is, of course, quite popular and has uh, quite a sizable industry behind it as well. Mm. Um, yeah, Catalonia has, you know, prides itself on, on being at the forefront of animal rights. Barcelona Council famously declared the city to be against bullfighting in 2004. That's nearly 20 years ago now. And uh, Catalonia followed suit in 2010 as it outlawed bullfighting. It did, but that law was overturned in 2016 by the Constitutional Court, and that is where uh, bullfighting was given this uh, very strongly protected, intangible cultural heritage, cultural patrimony kind of status. Yeah, even so, no bullfights have been held in Catalonia since uh, since that ruling. Technically, it could take place, but I guess for a variety of social, cultural and, and financial reasons, uh, it hasn't. People just not interested. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, That's kind of the way that it's been in Catalonia for a good few years now. But that being said, we have to remember that bullfighting is only one specific type of activity related to bulls. There are various other different bull-related shows that do take place and that do take place in Catalonia, no less. Carabos as well. Exactly. I think that means running with the bulls, where, granted, it's not a part of the ceremony that the bull gets killed every single time, but uh, obviously it causes the animal plenty of distress. Part of the research from Anima Naturalis that they just released earlier on this month found that Catalonia allocated 800,000 euros of public money to bull-related shows in 2019. This covered the costs of 450 different types of events in that one year alone. And this was done as part of a study which wasn't just focused on Catalonia, it was focused on all of Spain, uh, where they found that public subsidies amounted to 42 million for that entire year. Yep, indeed, uh, bullfighting isn't happening in Catalonia, but these bull runs uh, are certainly still very much a topic of debate. Maybe a topic for another podcast. Time now for our Catland phrase. What's it this week, Killian? This week we've got buscar tres peus al gat. To look for three feet on a cat. That's basically it, yeah. yeah. In a um, word-for-word sense, yes. Word-for-word sense. And in a non-literal sense, I have absolutely no idea. <laughs> so this is a kind of a phrase that you would say when the person that you're with, you feel they're being needlessly meticulous. When they're, for no reason at all, going into the fine granular detail of something <laughs> when you can just get on with the show. <laughs> Buscar tres peus al gat. That's us for today. Thanks very much to our interviewees this week, uh, Carlos Sanchez and Brooke Sperling. Thanks to you, Killian. Thank you, Lorcan. 
This is actually my last episode as host of Filling the Sink. So I just want to say a special thank you to all of you listening out there. It's been a pleasure. You can't get rid of me that easily, though. I will be back uh, sitting maybe where Killian is as one of the regular guests and contributors on the podcast. I'm leaving you in good hands, exceptional hands, of our new host, the wonderful Lucia Benavides. So our next episode of Filling the Sink will be out next weekend, as always. Until the next time, from me, Lorcan Doherty, and office here at Catalan News, this is not adeo, this is fins aviat. See you soon. Mm-hmm.